Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. The Brian De La Cruz Power Hour on the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. As you can tell, doing something a little bit different on this pod episode. Be sure to check out the full site, fishstripes.com, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Go to fishstripes.com. And a reminder to leave a rating and review for our podcast on Apple if you can anytime between now and the end of the regular season for every new rating and review that we receive We'll be adding $1 to our donation to the Players Alliance. Go check out the site, theplayersalliance.com, to understand what that organization is trying to accomplish in baseball. The Brian De La Cruz Power Hour, uh, hopefully this actually won't be a full hour, but that's not entirely up to me. I'm recording this towards the end of Thursday night's game. The Marlins have what seems to be a comfortable lead against the Nats, trying to close out this series win. I had this idea to record the show regardless uh, based on what Brian Delacruz has done as a Marlin, which has been nothing short of awesome in what is his very first month as a major leaguer and inspired by the fact that he has three hits already to this point in this game and it looks like he'll have one other opportunity at least before it's over. I have to go in depth about what we've seen from him um, and, and not just you know overhyping him, but putting into perspective what he's doing, explaining why he really appeals to me. I just, for me, there has been a void for most of this year, where as some of you know, Harold Ramirez was my favorite Marlins position player throughout 2019 and into 2020 in the rare instances where he was available last year. He's been gone since before spring training, and there's been a void in my heart for a favorite Marlins position player I had been holding out, hadn't really committed to anybody this year, and now Brian Delacruz has stolen my heart. He has been a, a joy to watch, even more so than trying to overrate him uh, in terms of what his actual talent is. There are things that are more important than just your value on the field and all that, although he's been providing plenty of that as well. Here's Brian Delacruz. Brings home the first pitch to Delacruz who has another hit. Between now and the final out of the game, I'm going to keep this going until the Marlins actually wrap up this win on Thursday night, so we'll see how long that takes to play these final two innings. Just unloading all my thoughts about Brian De La Cruz. 
the 24-year-old, if you weren't fully aware already, he was acquired from the Astros in the Yimmy Garcia trade less than one month ago. That trade made on July 28th, sending Yimmy Garcia to the Astros in exchange for De La Cruz and Austin Pruitt. So Austin Pruitt also pitched in this game that uh, I'm watching right now, just got finished. He was the one that came into relief. He's already been up a couple times. Uh, I suspect that Austin Pruitt may be designated for assignment again by the time that you listen to this. He's that type of very fringy arm. But Dela Cruz, certainly the centerpiece of the package that the Marlins got back, it's already evident. It was evident to me probably a week into Dela Cruz's major league career that there was something very interesting with this guy. And as we reach the one-month mark, it is, it's very evident that he is a, a piece. He's a piece of this organization moving forward. How big a piece? That's something that I guess we could dive into uh, right now, trying to make sense of what we've seen so far. He, the, uh, the one thing that stood out from the very first game he played was the defense. You could be fooled by tiny sample sizes with defense, more so than any other aspect of your game. Watching fielding plays, it takes a large body of work to really dissect what a player does in that department. It takes hundreds of reps, especially if you are a corner outfielder, which De La Cruz primarily has been. You don't get those reps unless you play an entire half season or more at a certain level. But I, what stuck out to me when they made the trade is that uh, it was brought to my attention from Baseball Sports Info Solutions, the same company that tracks Major League Defense in Defensive Run Save, they provide the same service to the minors. It's not publicly available to everybody, but they kind of they tease it in little bits and pieces. When the trade was announced, they mentioned that Brian De La Cruz, he was having a solid season at AAA for their Astros affiliate offensively. Defensively, for whatever reason, they were very low on him. The exact number escapes me. I think it was negative eight defensive runs saved in a half season at AAA. So they put that number out there. Um, and I don't think I saw anybody that was too strongly like disputing that. But it did stick out to me looking at his minor league numbers that they were rotating him between all three outfield positions. Maybe that was contributing to it. Uh, of course, playing in a ballpark that he probably never played at at the AAA level because that was his first year playing at the AAA level. Uh, when he got called up to the Marlins, Jesus Sanchez was still out with what we believe was a positive COVID test, although never confirmed by the team. And that left a huge void in right field once he was out. And of course, when they traded Duvall to the Braves, De La Cruz debuted on July 30th, right after the trade deadline. He stepped in as right in right field. And so to this point, that has been by far his primary position. 16 starts in right field, four in center field, and four in left field. The sample, it is small, but to me, we have seen such a wide variety of plays that he makes look easy defensively. Most of those in right, but I mean, just this week, just in the series against the Nationals in center field, one that definitely saved a run at the wall in a close game. Lane Thomas puts a charge into one out toward left center field. De La Cruz up against the wall, makes the play. Brian De La Cruz. Balancing a lot of adversity there. He has a very strong arm. Uh, Statcast backs it up repeatedly. A guy that clocks over 90 miles per hour on his throws back to the infield. 
and throws to different bases as well. We've seen him make good throws to home. We've seen him make strong throws to second and to third in this small sample. He is fast, above average speed, even by definitely by corner outfield standards. So may, he maybe he over the long haul, I think he would be miscast as a center fielder because his speed in center would be closer to average. And we did have this incident here on Thursday night with him and Lewis Brinson, uh, with Brinson playing in center and De La Cruz playing in left, a collision where neither of them caught the ball and Brinson suffered a thumb injury as a result of that. So those are the little things that you really do need a massive sample to get a good handle on, like the communication between his fellow outfielders. And to my memory, that is the one instance that we've had of him converging on a ball with one of his teammates, and in this case, it ended very poorly. That's that's something that you usually don't see at the major league level, having that type of miscommunication there. But overall, he has been awesome defensively. In terms of defensive runs saved, entering tonight, he was at plus five. So he really is totally flipping the script on what we saw on the minor league level, and then that really matches the eye test as well. On StatCast, they keep track of outs above average, which is, it takes similar things into perspective, but that's only about the ground that you cover. It doesn't include your throwing arm. So excluding the throwing arm, he also rates above average at plus two outs above average to this point, playing all those different positions. And so I start with that, even though that's not the sexy thing about what he's doing right now, that gives him a very high floor compared to somebody like Harold. As I'll get into shortly, there are some very interesting similarities offensively between De La Cruz and what Harold Ramirez did. Defensively, it is, with all due respect to my guy, uh, De La Cruz offers a lot more in that department. With his throwing arm, with his agility, with his comfort making plays at the wall, with his comfort definitely going to his right. We've seen a lot of those opportunities running back into his right. Not as many opportunities yet going to his left. Uh, so maybe like that's the one mystery. If you want to get really specific about it, it's his communication with his fellow outfielders and the plays that he makes going to his glove side. So wait to see. That's something to watch for, I guess, the rest of the season. At the very least, he has this high floor as an above-average defensive outfielder who can play all those positions. What you want to talk about, of course, is probably the offense. If this was 2001 instead of 2021, Miami would go, be going insane over this guy. No matter how bad the team is, if this was you know back in the day for most of baseball's history and you had a guy that was hitting 357 as a rookie, I mean, we would all just be hysterical about what, what a steal it was that they got him, about his huge place that he has in the future of the organization. It is... That's an incredible number, even more so, I guess, in today's game when you consider that league batting averages right now are about as low as they ever have been. Of course, what also comes along with being up in the modern day is that we have an understanding of what batting average means and what it doesn't mean and the importance that it doesn't quite have as we used to think it did. There's there's nothing wrong with having a super high batting average. I'll guarantee you that a 357, there's never been a player... In, in modern baseball history that hits 357 and is not helping their team a lot offensively. That is an incredible number. Uh, is it a sustainable number? Not even a tiny bit with this guy, in my opinion. It's been 
really fascinating to see uh, to this point. So recording this one, he had a three-hit day. Uh, I think at least two of those hits were low line drives, and the other one uh, maybe elevated a tiny bit more. But all three of them singles, all three of them in front of the outfielders. He is... Um, he is gifted right now. He is really being blessed by the BABIP gods, the batting average on balls in play. Uh, at this moment, with you know one more at bat bending for tonight, he has a season BABIP of 483, nearly half of all balls that he puts in play. So this excludes home runs, just balls that are in the field of play. Nearly half of them are finding openings nearly half of them are leading to him getting on base so that doesn't even include reaching on errors and as i said doesn't even include the home runs the league average babip is right around 300 actually a tiny bit lower than that and um the most extreme outliers that you'll see over the course of a full season are in the very high 300s but the fact that he is up near four near 500 in the high 400s 480s is is just unbelievable. There is no other word for it. Uh, based on some of the other data that we have about his batted balls, they kind of back up the the fact that this will need to come back down to earth. With StatCast, we have the weighted on base average, uh, which uses a similar scale as batting average. It's a little bit higher. Uh, the league average weighted on base average is in like 315, 320. Um, and so his to this point is in the mid 300s, but his expected weighted on base average is based on where he's sending these balls, especially focusing on the exit velocity and the launch angle and the direction of these balls. It, it tries its best to calculate the likelihood of him getting hits just based on where his balls are going. Um, he's about 100 points lower than that. So even though he is far above average based just on his offensive results right now, uh, the quality of his batted balls uh, and the combination of that and, you know, his strikeouts as well, uh, it would lead you to believe that his true talent is actually slightly below league average as a hitter. So let me say that again. Despite everything that he's doing right now, if he continues hitting the kind of balls that he is hitting, um, all things remaining equal, like over a large sample, he, this is the type of profile of a below average major league hitter. Not not terrible, and when combined with the defense that he has and some of the base running that he started to show tonight with his first stolen base as a major leaguer, there should be more where that came from. Um, that's not a knock on him whatsoever. This is, any way you slice it, at this moment, the Marlins should be very happy about getting him under the circumstances that they did. He hasn't shown anything to this point that makes you believe that he's even a starting caliber player on a potential playoff team. There's a lot more quirks, though, that I could get into and some other signs for a lot of positivity. Uh, the one thing that we really need to give credit to the Marlins for, and this has been just a really frustrating time to follow the team. There's no doubt about it. Really, most of the season has been frustrating where every time you feel like they've hit a new low. Remember the first low that I felt they hit during the season you could go all the way back to the first series of the season when Anthony Bass blew that save. They had all this conviction about Anthony Bass being the team's closer and his first real opportunity, a crushing defeat. The next low after that was when they were in New York, right? And I think Bass was still the closer at that point. 
inadvertently hits Michael Conforto, and that forces in the winning run on a highly controversial play that I think everybody acknowledged was a mistake, and that continues to spiral things out of control early in the season. They climb their way back to 500, uh, and then all the injuries start to pile up. I guess the next little point was must have been that losing streak in the end of May and early June that went up to eight games in total. Eliezer Hernandez coming back from his first significant injury and then immediately getting hurt again as a base runner. There was another low right there. There were other lows heading into the trade deadline, um, heading into the all-star break, I guess, and then actually at the trade deadline when it was clear that the Marlins were unwilling to pay Starling Marte to keep him around. So that was deflating when there was mutual interest and they couldn't get a deal done and they traded him. And then there have been times even since the All-Star break where all these decisions that they make, both with the roster and with the lineup, they are really maddening and don't seem to have any coherent goal to them. There have been so many lows in this season. The one thing that you got to give the Marlins credit for, for all these really perplexing decisions they've made about this roster and this lineup, insisting to be playing Jorge Alfaro on a near-daily basis, um, not calling up guys that we really want to see like Lewin Diaz or Bryson Brigman or on the pitching side, some other guys as well. This roster construction, it's very frustrating. But the one thing they've gotten right is that they have given De La Cruz an opportunity to play every single day since that trade. Not literally, but pretty damn close to every day. There's now been 26 games since he was activated, and he has started 24 of them. 16 in right, 4 in center field, 4 in left field, only two days off in all of that time. So credits them for doing that. There has been some frustration about where they're putting him in the lineup that he has been so productive to this point, but yet almost every game he starts in the 8th spot. He's not batted above 6th in any game this season. Even on days like in this particular game, Jazz is getting a rest. So that makes a void near the top of the lineup, you would think. There have been other days where Miguel Rojas has been resting, um, where they're weakening the top of the lineup and yet not considering moving their hottest hitter like to reinforce that part of the lineup. But the other complication of having De La Cruz always in the number eight spot, of course, is that he's batting in front of the pitcher. Uh, Marlins pitchers are, you know, right down there, almost as bad as anybody else's in terms of doing anything productive. Aside from the occasional sacrifice bunt, they are automatic outs. They really are. And there have been some outstanding stats that come out of that. Uh, Really depressing stats to me, to be honest with you. Entering this game uh, through his first, what was it, his first 24 games or his first... Yeah, so through his first 24 games, this was his 25th tonight. In his first 24 games, he'd only scored four runs. Four runs in 24 games. One run scored every six games. Basically, one run scored every week, despite being on fire at the plate. It is an unthinkable load total, and it's even crazier when you consider that he has hit a couple home runs. So twice he has driven himself in. He had only been scored by other teammates twice in his first 24 games. Thankfully, uh, Miguel Rojas brought him home 
in on his home run tonight. So that was the third time that one of his teammates had actually driven him in. It's, it's a frustrating reality of batting in the number eight spot uh, with this lineup at a time where, of course, the pitcher is occupying a spot. And also because there had been some inconsistencies from the Marlins leadoff hitters during that same span as well, it was it put him in the worst possible shot to actually contribute to the team. There was this stat that I dug up from on baseball reference that I hadn't been totally aware of before. Uh, one that takes into account you know, all the opportunities that you have to score a run and how often you're actually able to do so. They call it run scoring percentage. And the formula is it's your run scored minus your home runs. So every time you score, aside from the times where you score yourself, and divided by all your hits every time you get hit by a pitch, all your walks, and excluding your home runs or your times as a pinch runner, it looks like. And for him, his run scoring percentage, you know, the frequency that his teammates actually brought him home, entering this game was only 7%. The league average is 31%. There will come a point, you know, if he does continue getting hits at this degree, where they will be forced to move him up in the lineup. I'm not convinced that that is going to happen, again, because of the disparity between his on-base average and his expected weighted on-base average, the inflated batting average on balls in play. In this particular game, he has three hard-hit balls, you know, ones that are defined as having at least 95 miles per hour of exit velocity. Uh, overall, he does not quite do that as often as you think. You know, by the eye test, he hits a lot of these line drives that are very aesthetically pleasing and that I think will give him an opportunity to overperform. You know, some of these stats, these stats are not perfect in anticipating how often guys get hits. There are exceptions to the norm, depending on how you use the entire field. Dela Cruz loves to use the middle of the field and he, uh, he just has a nice swing path that, you know, avoids getting any sort of pop-ups or uh, like really low percentage hits. So I think there is some potential for him to overperform. The bottom line is that his hard hit percentage, even including tonight, is a shade over 30%. The league average is 39%, so it's not even particularly close in terms of the balls that he hits at that kind of exit velocity. That makes you think that things will come back down to earth. But one way that he is helping himself is by making more contact in general. There were some issues with that at the beginning of this month, and we've seen a nice progression in the right direction uh, ever since then. So he struck out once in his first game, once in his second game, then two more times in his fourth game. He had a bunch of multi-strikeout games during the first half of the month. If you uh, just look at it, let's use the cough as his first 13 games through August 11th, he was striking out nearly one-third of the time, 15 strikeouts and 47 plate appearances. And so if you fast-forward again ever since then, in his last 12 games, that strikeout rate has dropped into the low 20s. So it's gone from the low 30s to the low 20s. It's gone from really bad to being pretty much league average for a position player. So to be doing that as a rookie... And as an aggressive hitter, is extremely encouraging about you know how his actual skill set 
could could make an impact and kind of overcome any sort of issues with his approach. Tiny, tiny samples, tiny, tiny samples. I think we, we, we can learn more from looking at the whole month than trying to even split up this already small sample into a matter of weeks. I wouldn't advise against that. I just found that interesting. There is, even in the sample, there has been a progression. It does feel like he is getting actually a little bit better as an offensive player than he was at the very start of his major league career. Awesome to see. Yeah, to dig in a little bit more on his approach. I mean, in this particular game, it's been a perfect example of yeah, being aggressive early in the count when you get a pitch to hit. I mean, the one that stuck out to me is that breaking ball that he hit. I guess that was in the sixth inning that was right in the middle of the plate, and he, he served it to left field as a, as a single. Overall, swinging at the first pitch about one-third of the time, that's a little bit above the league average. Uh, his contact rate is is pretty normal. Uh, his swinging strike rate is pretty normal. You know, not good or not super bad in either of these categories. And so as I'm talking, bottom of the eighth inning, this is, he's up again. He finally got up for a fourth time. This is almost certainly going to be his last plate appearance of the day, and it's a 1-1 count against Harper. Ooh, I got to double check the name of this pitcher. I think it's Ryan Harper of the Nationals. So he's a fellow right-handed pitcher because, of course, he started this game against the lefty Patrick Corbin, who got shelled. And the bullpen for the Nationals has actually been doing all right against against just about everybody. And so he takes another breaking ball there for a one and two count, entering this plate appearance. As I said, hitting three fifty-seven in his young major league career, a number that almost certainly is going to come back down to earth, but having himself a pretty excellent night. And it looks like this is finally going to be an out for him. He got another breaking ball, and he lined out to left field. Not a bad night at all. Going three for four with a line out to left. I don't think he had a single swing and miss in this game, even though he was pretty aggressive in the first place. But So if you include that final out, he's going to... By the time you're listening to this podcast, a 353 hitter in the big leagues, one month into his major league career. Um, at the very least, uh, I really like his chances of winning National League Rookie of the Month for this month. As, as much as I would downplay batting average and its significance, you know that Major League Baseball in general still clings on to that. That's the easiest number to grasp. And so if you just like isolate this month, which doesn't include his first couple major league games right after the deadline, you know, the numbers look even more impressive. I pulled up the stat before the game in terms of wins above replacement on fan graphs for August. He was at 0.8, nearly one win above replacement in a single month. One of the best figures among all rookie hitters uh, this month. In fact, uh, the only guys that were ahead of him were uh, Wander Franco and Frank Schwindel of the Cubs. So I'm curious whether that number really comes into play when they decide the Rookie of the Month award. At the very least, he's going to get some consideration from that because of his all-around game. I think his all-around game, you have to say, is as good as any National League rookie so far this month, including Jazz Chisholm Jr. And Jazz has had some nice moments in August, but also some missed time. And if nothing else, Dela Cruz has had that availability and once again, just credits the Marlins by continuing to run him out there. 
I'm not sure exactly what the team's expectations were coming out of the trade. They didn't necessarily tout him as a huge steal or... I don't think they really set any unrealistic expectations. Most of this is just born out of the fact that he is crushing the ball, that he is doing such a great job. And that's why people have grown so fond of him. Uh, On a content creator side, I have to say, he is a good GIF material target as well. There's definitely a higher tier of guys on this Marlins team that lend themselves to those fun GIFs, 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 that I make. Uh, I've been doing them for years now in our Fish Stripes gift database that you can subscribe to by uh, contacting me with the hundreds of reaction gifts and highlights, etc., for both the players and the fans and non players, all that type of stuff. My favorite targets on this team, my favorite subjects, I should say, of gifts right now would have to be Jazz and Jesus Aguilar. They're in a tier all their own. The combination of their style of play, uh, the comfort that they have playing the game, how expressive they are during the games, and of course also in the dugout and off the field. They're in a tier on their own of guys that have starred in the most memorable gifts probably on average. But I have Dela Cruz quickly emerging into that second tier, right with Lewis Brinson and Jorge Alfaro of guys that also play the game in a way that is a lot of fun to capture on video and pretty comfortable with themselves off the field already. So I already have a few of those you may have seen on social media and embedded in articles of uh, De La Cruz having a good time. That's something else that he has in common with Harold Ramirez, you know, tying it back to him. As an offensive player, compared to Harold, there really are a lot of similarities. The fact that he has good sprint speed coming out of the batter's box that allows him to beat out more infield hits than the average player, that he does hit a lot of low line drives and that he uses all fields. Uh, there were stages, you may remember, of Harold's rookie year where he did hit for a significant amount of power uh, for a couple weeks at a time, maybe. And uh, with Dela Cruz to this point, we haven't actually seen even that yet. He does have a couple home runs. His uh, At Grand Slam in particular was absolutely hammered in a way that shows you that his raw power is probably above average by major league player standards. Not elite. Uh, I don't think it's realistic to think that he's going to channel all this into being a middle-of-the-order hitter. At the very least, uh, when he is sitting on the right pitch, he does incredible damage against it. So ultimately, yeah, I really do think that as an offensive player, you should think... Harold Ramirez when you see Brian Dela Cruz. I know it's a very different body type from him and different mechanics for sure. Um, I think the attributes are pretty similar, that the actual physicality and the actual skill set, their um, their approach at the plate has a lot of similarities too. And so that means that it's a guy that is going to be very aesthetically pleasing to watch, somebody that might overperform in clutch situations because he does use the all, all fields and because he, he is a guy that can, at times, it looks, I mean, he's showing more evidence as the season goes on, as his month goes on, that he can like jump on pitches early in the count to not even bring a strikeout into the equation. There are going to be hot streaks like this, I imagine, from him in the future, 
but this isn't the new normal from him. There are going to be limitations as well, you know, barring a pretty dramatic change in his swing plane or a dramatic change in his approach, that there's still definitely a ceiling on this type of player. Yeah, if I was to guess, I might as well just put a prediction out there as we go to the ninth inning of this game, and I gotta probably get back to work on some post-game coverage when I finish recording this, that Dela Cruz is slashing his slash on a 353 batting average, a 391 on base, a 471 slugging percentage. Through his first month, they have the Marlins another, what, 34 games to go after this. He'll probably play at least 30 of those. Yeah, you essentially double the sample size of what his stuff will look like at the end of the year. I would guess the batting average comes down slightly below 300, like 292. And OBP, uh, it depends a little bit where he continues batting in the order because I don't think they're going to keep him in the eighth spot forever at this point. I'm assuming they move him up, that he sees more strikes and that the walk rate goes even lower than it currently has been. I'll say that the on-base percentage by the end of the year looks about 335. So 292 batting average, 335 on base. There will be a couple more home runs in there. Um, but I think the isolated power, you know, the difference between the average and the slugging should remain relatively consistent. Uh, I'll give him a little credit and say that ticks up to uh, the slugging would be like 430 if you keep the same differential between the average and the slugging. So that's going to be my prediction for his season end stats with the Marlins. 292 betting average, 335 on base, 430 slugging. Playing at at Lone Depot Park, that is a slightly above average hitter for a guy that we're already fairly convinced is an above average fielder. It's okay to dream about him as a candidate to be an everyday player next year. And the beauty of it is his versatility, where you can imagine him potentially playing any of those spots. Um, I'm most skeptical about center field. Um... And the interesting thing is with right field, we know that it is Jesus Sanchez's primary spot in that Sanchez does not have that versatility, and he also does not have the roster flexibility that De La Cruz has, where Sanchez will be out of options next year. De La Cruz will still have all of his minor league options next year. And as I said with my prediction, I do think he's going to slump compared to, of course, his current numbers between now and the end of the year where it's not going to be guaranteed that he's going to be on the opening day roster depending on, you know, what else they do in the offseason. Just because we know there is some urgency from this team to win right away, we also know that this team, when they do have guys that are, are more versatile situations, they're going to exploit that. Even if you are somebody that in a vacuum kind of deserves to be up in the majors, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean enough to actually keep you up at all times, depending on trying to balance things with the rest of the players that are under contract and all that. I, I do think he certainly has the inside track of being on the opening day roster, but this just goes back to a point that I made in an article earlier this month about, that was at the time when we were excited for Brinson and De La Cruz and the return of Jesus Sanchez and since then, unfortunately, Brinson has slumped, and now he has this thumb injury that we don't know how long that's going to keep him out. That there's no circumstance where you go into the offseason and you feel content about your major league outfield. If, if this team really does have any urgency to improve next year, they're going to have to make a fairly significant investment in the offseason, whether it's via free agency or trade 
or both to bring somebody else in. This is big. This is really big. Well, that's my prediction. So I'd love to hear what your prediction is for what De La Cruz is going to look like uh, by the end of the year. He's one of the bright spots with this organization the rest of the way. That's what we got to do. We got to cling to the bright spots because in the bigger picture, still a lot of questions about where this team is headed. And we will not hold back here at Fish Stripes from being very critical about what they do and trying our best to figure out what direction they're headed in and what what needs to be done, you know, to avoid another frustrating, stressful year like this one was. But I appreciate all of you guys that have stuck with us, you know, throughout all this. Our usual wide range of material will be up at fishstripes.com. Uh, the live stream coming up again on Friday, an hour before first pitch. And uh, yeah, a whole lot of analysis to do as well coming down the stretch of the season and uh yeah trying to dispel like reality from a mirage at this time of year that is always the biggest challenge and Dela Cruz is going to be you know a prime example of it of trying to make sense of exactly what matters during the final month plus of a regular season when your team is already out of it so always uh, eager to hear from you guys and, and what you uncovered on the show Another reminder, leave a rating and review for Fish Stripes on Apple, and that will go towards our big donation to the Players Alliance coming up at the end of the regular season. I'm Eli Sussman. Go Fish! Go Fish!